All right, everybody, good morning. Let's go ahead and find our places. Welcome. Welcome to First Baptist Church. And if by chance you are a first-time guest or maybe just a second or third time and you're new to our church, especially want to welcome you. I know a lot of times over the holidays people travel and maybe you're just in town visiting or whatever the case might be. We're glad you're here. We're glad you would spend this day with us. Um, We are at the end of 2018. You believe that? That's crazy, isn't it? When you get older like me, it seems like three months ago we just went into 2018. It's crazy how fast the time flies. Anytime you're at the end of a year and you're at the beginning of a new year, you know, it's always the time to think about new things. We, we often do that sort of thing. One of the announcements this morning that's in your bulletin that's really important actually is that we always chart out to help you uh, make a plan to read through your Bible in a year. I, I think that's a really important value that each of you as believers in Jesus Christ ought to have. You ought to strive to read through the entire Bible once a year, every year. Uh, that's a really good, and if you can do it more aggressively or whatever, but you should never have it be said of you that there are words in your Bible you've never read. You should read through all of it. And so if you've never done that, maybe let this year coming up 2019 be that year, and reading through the Bible is a really important thing. I, I went ahead and got a little bit of a head start. I started this past week, and I just want to share with you one verse that I happened to read in Genesis chapter 8. Start at the beginning, right? In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 13. Uh, We read this during about the flood of Noah. It says, And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So Noah, the flood, the whole story we know, he, he gets to start over with a new, fresh beginning on the first day of the first month. It was New Year's Day. God gave him a picture of a brand new start on New Year's Day. And although it was still some days before he actually departed out of the ark, nevertheless, that was, the, that was the time when he saw, hey, there's dry land out there, it's time to start. What that actually is is a picture of the millennium when there's going to be a brand new day, the millennial day, where the earth is going to be cleansed and we're going to have an absolute new start. For us as Christians and Year to year, you know, the new year does always cause us to consider resolutions and new, fresh starts to maybe achieve things this coming year that we've never dreamed of before. I believe that we're actually experiencing and living that reality right now. For example, today we experience unity at levels previously unheard of. Today is a day when Both Browns and Steelers fans are pulling for the Browns to win. I mean, God is at work in our midst. Amen? Don't take this stuff for granted. I'm going to take you back to a story. It was the year 1873 in Dublin, Ireland when a man named D.L. Moody listened to the message of a British evangelist named Henry Varley. And Henry Varley uttered these words that I put in your bulletin. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Think about that for a minute. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through 
and in a man who was fully and wholly consecrated to him. Well, Moody did think about that. And he was deeply moved by these words. He, later on, as he was thinking about these things, found himself in a meeting where Charles Spurgeon was speaking. And in that meeting, while Spurgeon was preaching, Moody was recalling the words of his friend Henry Varley. And he realized that Varley meant any man. Any man. He didn't say that he had to be educated or brilliant or particularly skilled. Just a man. And at that time, D.L. Moody made the response to the Lord where he said, well, by God's grace, I'll be that man. He realized that it wasn't Charles Spurgeon who was doing the great work. It was God that was doing the great work. And he thought, well, if that's the case, why would God, who's not a respecter of persons, not also use me? Why would God not also use me? Why would he not use all of us if we would just lay ourselves at the master's feet and be totally and wholly consecrated unto him? Well, you know the story of D.L. Moody and the great works that he's done and the United States and evangelism and all the things that God used him for. And I'd like to propose for you today that what Moody took for himself as an individual believer, so we can take for ourselves as a body of believers, as a church. That is, if enough of us as individuals will appropriate that, that idea as an individual. So, for example, we could say the world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a church who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. Amen? I'd like to exit 2018 by reminding us all of this verse of Scripture in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. And you know, God has done some otherwise impossible things with and through and in this body at First Baptist Church, even in 2018. And all we have to do is just be fully consecrated to Him. That's all it requires. Typically, the Sunday between Christmas and Easter is kind of a relaxed Sunday, and it's kind of a family time. What I would like to do is actually what a lot of the television programs do. I'd like to take a look back at 2018. That's our title for today, a look back at 2018. Uh, a lot of times you'll watch the year-end television shows about the news stories of 2018 or uh, I like sports so the big sporting events of 2018 or whatever the thing is well there's a lot of things that have gone on in 2018 and I'd like for us to be reminded of them as we consider what that might mean for us going forward in 2019 so if you will let's just take a minute and pray and ask God to speak to our hearts and then we'll jump into it so Heavenly Father as we look back you frequently call us in your word to remember, to remember, and to remember. And Lord, it's good to remember. It's good to remember where we've come from. It's good to remember the things that you've done. And sometimes we are very busy in the details of now, and that's important too, but we lose sight of what happened before, and we kind of lose our bearings, and we don't remember, and maybe that causes us to forget just how great you are and the great things that you've done. I pray that you'll take this time 
and you'll remind us and you'll show us and we'll respond in such a way that it stimulates our faith to trust you for even more moving forward. Thank you for a great year. Thank you for every single day. It's a gift from you and we pray that you'll take this day and use it in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to look in a couple of specific ways as we go forward and the first one is in your notes. We're going to look back with thanksgiving. We're going to look back with thanksgiving. I think this is really important as we're looking back over the things God's done. I think we need to give thanks, don't you? Uh, Thanksgiving isn't something that we just do at the end of November every year. Every day can be Thanksgiving. Acts chapter 21 and verse number 19 says this. This is Paul returning back to Jerusalem. There's a lot of counsel given to Paul. Don't go to Jerusalem. There's a lot of trouble. Paul ultimately goes back to Jerusalem. He meets with the elders and the apostles in the church in Jerusalem, and in Acts 21, 19, he says this, and when he had saluted them, these elders, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And as I remind us of some of the key events that occurred over this last year, I want to help you to see what God has wrought. Who cares what man has wrought? What has God wrought through us and in our experience over these last 12 months. Well, God's taught us some things, and the first thing we're going to see, letter A, is the power of community. This is 1 Corinthians, and we've so far studied the first 11 chapters of that book. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time, and I'm certainly not going to remind you of all the things we've already studied, but we began the systematic Bible study of the book of 1 Corinthians in January of last year. That's when we began. And so in 12 months, we've made 11 chapters. Our plan, by the way, is to complete it in June of this coming year. So we'll have spent about 18 months in the book of 1 Corinthians. It is interesting. It just happened to work out that when Paul was actually in Corinth teaching them, he was in Corinth for 18 months teaching them. I didn't actually plan it that way. It just kind of worked out that way. But that's, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the thing that we've seen in every chapter moving through all of the different issues of the Corinthian church is is that God wants us to consider ourselves as a body. He wants to consider ourselves as a community. He wants us to understand this little catchphrase that I've coined, that we is greater than me. It's more important that we consider one another than for us to just consider ourselves as individuals. And the Corinthian church, if you know anything about the Bible, is a church that is wrought with problems. The church had a lot of carnality, the church had a lot of sin, and the church had a lot of difficulty. And chapter after chapter after chapter is Paul correcting the various problems that they had in their body. And the underlying current, the underlying theme of it all is that the Corinthian church was a selfish church. And the individual members of the Corinthian church were behaving in such a way that they thought of themselves as individuals first and discounted the need for considering the others in the community of the body. But when they would put the body together first, when they would consider the rest of the body, when they were to make their very decisions in life, well, they would find that that would benefit them as individuals as well. And sometimes I think Christians are afraid to sacrifice and serve for the benefit of others, fearing that somehow there's some loss in your individual life or your ability to maximize whatever your efforts desire to be. But the lessons that we learn in 1 Corinthians, and I I hope if you've been with us that you've learned these lessons. My prayer weekly is that you're learning these lessons. 
is that God works most powerfully through the system that he has designed, and that system is a local church. It is a community of believers. We are not designed to be individual Christians on an island. With no offense to people who get to live on an island. (laughs) The idea is this. We're going to be getting into, in January, chapter number 12. And a lot of you already know that chapter number 12 and 13 and 14 deal with spiritual gifts. And specifically in chapter 12, it talks about the importance of each gift working together in the body. One is a hand, one is an eye, one is an ear. But all together, we are the body of Christ. And we'll see that theme again emphasized in January. I just want to remind you that God has been reminding us of how important that lesson is. And through all the various subjects, and if you've missed them, you can go on our website, you can listen, you can check it out, you can can study with us and get caught up. But man, the idea of loving and caring for and prioritizing one another over ourselves, well, that's, that's something to give thanks for. Uh, listen, I'm obviously, it goes without saying how thankful each and every one of us are for Jesus Christ alone. I'll make my boast in Christ alone and not my righteousness, we sang. Okay, that's true, but man, I, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this entity that God created called the body of Christ because you know what? Every once in a while, I'm just going to be honest with you. I need Jesus with flesh on, and that's who y'all are to me. You're Jesus with flesh on. Now, we blow it. We don't always nail it. I get it, but sometimes you, need to, sometimes you just need a hug. Sometimes just need people to love you and care, care for you, encourage you, right? That's what the body of Christ is, and learning that lesson and hopefully affecting your life, well, that's something worth giving thanks for, isn't it? That's something worth giving thanks for. God also t- taught us, and this is letter B in your notes, that God has preserved His Word for us in English. And that preserved Word for us in English is found exclusively in the authorized King James. We find ourselves now in the last of the seven, the Laodicean church period. Nevertheless, nevertheless, this particular church, which was an actual church in Asia Minor in the first century, was praised. And they were praised for the different things that they did. And the most prominent thing is clearly that they kept God's words. They kept them. Now, we're not here to rehash the subject of the preservation. Again, that's material that's already been covered. But I want you to notice, and continuing in your notes, that the church in Philadelphia is the church of the open door. It's the church of the open door. That's what it says, that he, Jesus Christ, referring to himself, that is holy, that is true as the key of David, he's the one that openeth and no man shutteth. And shutteth and no man openeth. And he's the one that said, I've set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. Why? Because you kept my word. Because you didn't rely on your own strength. That's why. So Philadelphia is the church of the open door. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which we'll get to by the time we get to June. (laughs) Lord willing. Verse 9 says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. Oh, and there are many adversaries, and there are many adversaries. Because anytime God opens a great door, you better know there's going to be adversaries, right? And God has opened doors of ministry for First Baptist Church. And again, I, I, I hope you hear me. I'm not trying to just do a commercial for our church. I'm trying to help you who are a part of our church to see 
what God hath wrought in our very midst, in a very concrete, real way. God's opened doors for us that I believe no man can shut. But make no mistake, there is an enemy, and there is a battle. And the battle that may take on various other forms, the battle is won, and it's the battle for the Bible. It's always the battle for the Bible. You say, why is that? Well, because the Bible ultimately represents, or it doesn't, depending on your thoughts, it ultimately represents God's final and complete authoritative standard for all matters of faith and practice. And either you submit yourself to that or you don't. And we choose to submit ourselves to it. We believe it. We believe that history bears it out. We believe the Scriptures bear it out. And we have chosen on purpose to say, yes, Lord, there is one book that is the king of all books, and it is the ultimate standard for everything that we will do, everything that we will think, and everything that we will decide. Now, do we always nail it? Of course we don't. We're flesh. We're human. But that is our desire. That is our target. God's authority is always the ultimate issue. It is the issue that the devil attacks. That is the issue because if he can put a crack in your armor of understanding God's final authority, well then he's got a foothold. It says neither give place to the devil in Ephesians. Well, you're giving him a little bit of place when you doubt whether or not the book you hold in your hands is completely authoritative or not. So we did our conference back in September and it was a huge success. It was wonderful. Nevertheless, to some, it was controversial. To others, it was, well, not really well received. To some, they considered it unkind or divisive. We've dealt with some of these issues. By others, it was mocked. And a few even got so upset, they decided they're going to leave. They're not staying, and they're not, they haven't returned yet. Well, you know what? This passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 3 that's written to the church in Philadelphia to the church that kept his word is given the promise of an open door you know what I I don't think that it's just coincidence listen we happen to be the church in New Philadelphia and I get it I get it just because of a name there's no guarantee that we get all those benefits just because we happen to live here I'm not trying to say that we have to prove it. We have to prove it. Any church can be a Philadelphian church wherever they happen to be. But I think God is always going to remind us just because of our namesake. And the Certainty Conference, in my opinion, was a proof that God, to God, that we will keep His Word here also. And you know what? Regardless of popularity... God was watching. God was watching. Do, do you ever stop sometimes and think, regardless of popularity, regardless of visible results in whatever it is you're doing for the Lord, do you sometimes just caution yourself to stop and, and remember who your real audience is? The Lord is your real audience, isn't it? Don't you want to please Him first and foremost? So, in my opinion, it's no small matter when a church is willing to openly proclaim their commitment to one book as God's final and absolute authoritative standard. Now, I will say, everybody wants to say that, and they, they talk a good game 
about God's word being perfect and inerrant, but far too frequently they don't really mean it. They don't really mean it if they find themselves falling into the habit and taking the liberty to correct what God said, which sadly happens far too frequently among churches all over the world today. But because we know what we know, because God reinforced to us this key fact, we can give thanks for that, can't we? We can give thanks for that. That is a huge blessing. Let's look at another thing. Let her see. In 2018, we learned that consistency and longevity matter. Consistency and longevity matter. Listen, in March of 2018, this church celebrated its 160th anniversary as a church. Praise the Lord. 160 years as a church. This church was chartered in March of 1858. First Baptist Church was a church before West Virginia was a state. First Baptist Church was a church before the Civil War began. Listen, God has done an amazing thing and to be able to celebrate 160 years of faithful service to the Lord is a big deal. It is a big deal. Now, we understand, if you understand the Bible at all, that a a biblical church, it's not just an organization. It's not just like, you know, the Moose Lodge or the Lions Club. A biblical church is actually defined as a living organism. We'll get into that in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. It's actually a living organism. And as a living organism, it will have a time of its birth, conception. It'll have some life cycle. And is there a death possibly to that? Well, in some cases, churches cease to exist, and that's a sad reality. But if, the li- if it's the church of Jesus Christ, and if the life of Jesus Christ is the life flowing through it, should it ever die? Should it ever die? Should it not continue on and on and on until the coming of the Lord himself? Until the body reunites with the head? Listen, we have a great ministry, a great history of ministry here in the Tuscarawas Valley. And I believe the reason is, is because this church may have changed in some superficial ways of presentation and some details of things that we work out over the years, but we've not changed in the important things. That's why we're still around. We haven't changed in the important things. This church was chartered in 1858. Oh yeah, by the way, that was during that Philadelphian church period. That's when this church was started. So this church has experienced 160 years. 35 pastors, two locations, one book, one book. From the time it started, it's never changed, not one time. Let that sink in. Let that sink in as you consider Proverbs chapter 3 and the first two verses. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart 
Keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Rarely, well certainly in the United States, our history is not that old. Rarely do you find a church that old that's still vibrant and faithful and still reaching people, right? I mean, this church, I get it, may not be everybody's cup of tea. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But God loves First Baptist Church. And it is far greater than any personality or group of personalities. He has sustained this church through 16 decades. And he's using her. What's the encouragement through that? Well, keep on keeping on, y'all. I mean, don't be quick to jump ship. Don't be quick to run into change. Don't be quick to just leave some responsibility. Don't be quick to just think like, well, you know, I had a good run, you know, a few years or whatever, okay. There is something to consistency and longevity. There are special blessings that come as a result of staying by the stuff. Amen? And as much as the baton is passed to you for your portion of the race, faithfully run it. That's something we can give thanks for. I think we should give thanks for that. I think we should give thanks for this one, letter D. That his, Jesus Christ's heart, is for what's referred to as the least of these. The least of these. Can I read for you from Matthew 25, starting in verse 34? Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now listen, Bible students, I know that Matthew 25 has a specific doctrinal context that deals with the judgment of nations. I I know that. I also know that Jesus Christ himself identifies with the people who are the less privileged. You see that? He identifies himself in so much as you've done it unto the least of these. You've done it unto me. He identifies himself with the people who are the least privileged. So what I'd like to do for the next minute or two is just remind us about some of the ministry outreach trips and events that we had here in 2018. In February of last year, I alone represented our church, but I got to go with Mark Trotter and with Pastor Palira Chibwana to Malawi 
and to be a part of that training program where we teach the Bible to, well, there was over 500 pastors in three different conferences that we were speaking to. Uh, in the springtime, I was also invited to go to the Dominican Republic with Pastor Miguel Mercedes and hold a discipleship conference for his new church that is just now getting established and getting established in biblical discipleship. In June, this church took a team and went to Santa Fe, New Mexico to put on a children's camp with the Pueblo Indians, at which time there were 10 professions of faith and there's a continued open door to work with the Nambe Pueblo together with Wildwood Baptist Church and Ascent Bible Church down in Santa Fe who is currently doing the follow-up and setting up for another like camp this summer. In July, there was the orphan ministry, the Hungry Orphan Camp. Uh, this was the very first year that First Baptist Church and most specifically Cale Horvath took over all of the administrative responsibility of running that camp, again in cooperation with Wildwood Baptist Church, who started that ministry some 10 years ago. It was at our Thanksgiving service that Cale and Brooks stood before you and announced their timeline that as of June of 2019 that he'll no longer be the full-time youth pastor of this church, but he'll begin his ministry support raising to permanently move to Hungary with a prayerful target of the summer of 2020. Immediately following the Hungary trip, I went directly to Albania to spend another week with another young couple who was prayerfully considering a life of career missions and a week of training and seeing our ministry in Albania to discuss the details of setting up a what has now become a reality, a manna feeding center with the church in Duras, Albania with Pastor Sazan Hojai that has finally taken place and begun at the end of November, the 1st of December. They've got a month under their belt now. Feeding children in poverty in that city. We were able to help them purchase a building for their church instead of renting all of these years. And they finally got into that new building and had their Christmas service last week as we had our Christmas service and the building was packed full. There were three ladies that gave their life to Christ last Sunday. They continue to have a consistent outreach to their community. A group of guys went to Mongolia to help build some facilities and run a youth camp for missionaries Mickey and Trina Kofer in Hotgal, Mongolia. Good luck finding it on a map near Siberia, if that'll help. Listen, as I was prayerfully considering these things in my mind and going over what God hath wrought, and I started listing these things and looking at them in the context of these, especially Matthew 25, do you realize that, like I said, reaching the least of these is literally touching the very heart of Jesus Christ? You can check the statistics for yourself and, you know, Google search it, figure it out for yourself, but these things that I'm going to list for you now are really close to being completely accurate. It'll become clear. Malawi, for example, is said to be, I don't know exactly, it is said to be the poorest country in all of the world. 
Albania absolutely is the poorest country in all of Europe, and it is the only Muslim country in all of Europe. Mongolia arguably is the most remote country in all of the world. The Native Americans in New Mexico, arguably the most forgotten people of the United States. And orphans in a former communist country, let me tell you, are among the most neglected people category that there can be. Not to mention all the people we minister right here, right, in Tuscarawas County with recovering addicts and abused women and homeless and, of course, children's ministries. Listen, our little church and this little town has an impact all over this world. And to the least of these, which you know what that really means? We are ministering to the very heart of Jesus Christ. To the very heart of Jesus Christ. You say, did you plan all that? Did you pick the least on the list? No, I just have been doing what I think the Lord has led us to do. That's all we've been doing. We can give thanks for that. We can give thanks for that. A lot of those trips, by the way, are going to be repeated coming up next year. I'll save that for next week, okay? Look back with thanksgiving. When we look back over the things that God has done, we need to give thanks to Him for it. One other way I want us to continue to look back, and that is number two in your outline, look back with purpose. Look with me in John chapter 17, if you will. So if you were with us last week, our Christmas message last week dealt with, you know, this appointed purpose that Jesus had in coming to earth. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth, right? And so last week we saw, which is one of three reasons that we're going to look at today, the first one is spiritual redemption, Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Right? Last week we saw that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil and to reconcile man to God. That's what we saw. So we know that. Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. I hope you all know that already. If you don't know that, please know that. He, that's why he came. It's the most important thing you could ever know. But there are other things that he came to do as well. And that's what I want to deal with today. And so that's number two. It's not just spiritual redemption, but spiritual reproduction. Spiritual reproduction. That's John chapter 17 and verse number four. John chapter 17, if you're not aware, is Jesus Christ's prayer to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before his arrest and crucifixion. And in verse number four of John 17, as he's praying to the father, he says, I've glorified thee on the earth. I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And as he's praying this prayer, he has yet to be crucified. So he's not talking about that. And then the context of the rest of the chapter, and we'll look at a few of the verses, is the work that God the Father gave God the Son to do, besides the crucifixion, is the training of men. It's spiritual reproduction. It's taking certain men from this world that would follow him and walk with him and learn his ways so that they could carry on the ministry for generations to come. That is the work that Jesus Christ was able to accurately report to the Father that he had completed before he gave up his life physically. 
We see that continuing in verses 6 through 8. I've manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. There were 12, right? Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Oh, sound familiar? Oh, yeah, kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words, specific, individual words, which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I have come out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So God gave certain men, not all, God gave certain men to be trained for the work of the ministry. There are terms in those verses, kept thy word, we've covered that already, received them, we see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for example, that we should be receiving God's word as it is in truth, not the words of men, the words of God. They've known surely the things. Why? They have confidence. They have boldness. They have the surety of truth because it was an absolute inerrant standard, the word of God. And it was energized by their faith when it says they believed them. 1 Thessalonians 2, right? It effectually works in you when you believe. It is what it is. The Word of God is what it is, whether you think so or not. It doesn't need our approval. But if you'll believe it, oh, now it'll work in you. See? This is Jesus' prayer. These are the men that walked with Him for over three years. Well, looking back into 2018 and How is this purpose of Jesus Christ's coming played out among our body? Well, let's look at some numbers. Let's look back with purpose. Our typical Sunday morning attendance for worship throughout the entire building is averaging between 650 and 700 people. Our midweek life groups that will be starting up again this next week Between 300 and 350 of you faithfully attend those. Our 9 a.m. training classes, uh, roughly about 200 of you faithfully attend that. Personal discipleship, it's the backbone of what we do here. People individually, one-on-one being taught and trained by a mentor, a big brother, a big sister, going through the fundamentals of the faith together in their own time. We have currently 109 people training 109 others, 218 people involved in that. The next level of discipleship, when you finish that level, you qualify to sign up for ministry tools and training. Every year we graduate out another class, usually 20, 30 per class, and this year in the two-year curriculum that it is, we currently have 56 students studying. And we have developed a four-year part-time Bible Institute, the Living Faith Bible Institute, from which we've graduated to and have about 12 full-time serious students pursuing. Isn't that interesting that we have 12? (laughs) Full-time serious students pursuing vocational ministry training. Now, there's others. There are some others who take a class here and there, and we're thankful for everybody. But this is God's purpose from the very beginning. 
You say, how do you know that? Well, because I've read the beginning. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God created man to multiply. And before man sinned, by the way, when this commission was given, he was also called the Son of God. The Son of God. So we have a similar story, interestingly, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14 that deals with reproduction. This is the story of Abraham and Sarah in their old age. He's 100, she's 90. God promises a child. They kind of laughed like, yeah, right. And by the way, we probably would laugh too. (laughs) I mean, think about it really. And so the response that they get, the Lord says in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Why are you laughing? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, and according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. It's kind of like we read in Matthew 19. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible, right? So in John 17, 4, Jesus Christ said, I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So there's something to be said about not quitting. Listen, I've been doing this a long time. I've been in ministry for like 35 years now. and A lot of people start off well. A lot of people start off running. A lot of people get excited and run with the Lord for a little while. And then you never see Him again. It's sad. It's heartbreaking. Not that many continue on for their entire lives, always growing, always trusting always following the Lord even more and more closely. A lot of people don't finish. The Apostle Paul has the same value, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5-8, through 8, where he says near the end of his physical life, But watch thou in all things, Timothy. Endure afflictions, do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure, my physical death, is near, right? It's at hand. I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Paul's going to receive a specific reward because he was steadfast and faithful unto the end. You know what the good news for us is? It's not just Paul. Continue reading. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And you say, well, I love his appearing. I'll say, are you involved in ministry? Well, not right now. I mean, I'm really busy and I got a lot of things going on, but I mean, I love his appearing. Well, I think kind of in the context. (laughs) Loving his appearing is manifest by keeping the faith, finishing your course, doing the work of an evangelist, right? I mean, these are the things that demonstrate how much, how excited you'll be. Listen, if you're not walking with the Lord, If you're saved and you're not walking with the Lord, and He were in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, appear while you were doing something you might not be proud of, you're not loving His appearing. You're like, oh, oh man. But if you're in the midst of faithfully serving the Lord and He shows up and puts time to an end, puts sin to an end, 
while you're faithfully pulling together with him, you love that appearing, right? They're connected. They're connected. It's the Great Commission. It's making disciples of all nations and all peoples. So we continue reading further down in John 17, starting in verse 14. Notice what he says about these men. I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then verse 20 says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So Jesus prays to the Father, and if I can bring it into just modern English, he's saying, look, I'm praying for these guys, but don't take them out of the world. In other words, you weren't saved spiritually just to immediately be raptured out and enjoy your life in heaven forever with God. That's coming. That's the good news. It's coming. But there's a job to be done in the meantime. I pray that you'll leave them here in this world. They're not of the world and the world's going to hate them. Leave them here. Just keep them from evil. Keep them holy. Sanctify them. Keep them in your word because that's what sanctifies them. Sanctify them in the truth and the word is truth. And then he goes on and he says, man, I'm not just praying for these 12 guys or 11 as it was at that point. I'm praying for all the people that will continue to believe on me because of their ministry. In other words, they needed to have a ministry so that you and I could be here today having a ministry, right? It's the Great Commission. It's the purpose. When we look back over 2018, we need to look back with a purpose of the things and the events we're involved in for a reason. These trained men were to take the gospel to the whole world, and in order for that to happen, there does need to be one other thing that I want us to look at quickly and will be done. Number three in your notes is spiritual resourcing. Spiritual resourcing. And, it, and I really just want to make this very clear. What I'm really talking about is physical and financial resources that facilitate the ability to do a spiritual work, okay? In other words, know this. What God orders, He supplies. You believe that? What God orders, He will pay for. He absolutely will. Now, if you've been a part of this church, you probably know that 2017 was a tough year around here. We weathered a storm and that storm took some lives and caused some damage. And when there's a big storm, it costs a lot of money to rebuild. Yet, we're still here. We're still standing. We're staying on course. And you know what? God blesses that. He does. He absolutely blesses that. We're not giving up. We're not quitting. We're not walking away. And so what have we seen in 2018? You would not be aware of this, but I'm here to tell you today that in 2018, God has given us, through your faithful giving, over $50,000 more than we budgeted for. Uh, we actually have received more income in 2018 than we had in 2016 
before the storm. And that's not even counting the fact that God has brought our way some unexpected large gifts. Some years ago, we were donated some properties and had a hard time getting rid of those properties. And in 2018, we were able to virtually liquidate all of the rest of the properties. We've received a lot of income from that. We were able to sell the timber on the hill out back. We are in line to actually receive an inheritance of an estate coming up soon this coming year. And those funds allow us to do things that, well, in human judgment anyway, would otherwise be considered impossible. We've been able to get a lot of things fixed up around here, around our facility, but we're also able to make the funds available so that the church in Duras, Albania can have a building, for example. And as the pastor of a church, as the CEO of the business, can I just tell you that when things like that that otherwise can't be explained happen, it's just evidence of the hand of God continuing to prepare and to give the supply for us to continue to carry out His mission. Here's a church that's interested in my mission. Here's a church that had many adversaries. Here's a church that weathered a storm. Here's a church that still will stand on the book, that still will reach the least of these, that still will move forward, interested in the things that I'm interested in. Uh, they're going to need some money. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to help them out. And whether that means that God put something on your specific heart to be a part of helping us or God just did something we never could have dreamed of, God knows. God knows. Can I, can I give you a little quick leadership lesson? Never let the lack of resources stop your vision. If God orders it, He'll supply it. You might not know how. You'll learn to pray, but He'll supply. You know, I love what God says in Psalm chapter 50 and verse number 10. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Then in verse 12, he says, can you imagine the Lord saying this? If I were hungry, I, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. I, everything is mine. What am I worried about? Right? And that's the perspective we need to have. We need to trust that the Lord will do what he has said he has done as long as we are faithful to do what he has said for us to do. Right? And 2018 has been a really great year. I do want to leave you with this last verse. I think this is great. A friend of mine shared this with me this week, and I, I want to give it to you. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Consider how great things he hath done for you. And while you're considering, would you consider how this might motivate you to trust him more in 2019. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. And by God's grace, I will be that man. Will you say that with me? Let's pray together. 
And if you can be with us next week, I encourage you to come because we took a look back today. We're going to take a look forward next week before we get back into 1 Corinthians. But as we consider these things today, I'd like to ask you to consider in your heart what God is asking you to do. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray. And as I start to pray, I just want you to consider what God is asking you to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do humbly give thanks. You are so, so good and so faithful and so true. And Lord, we didn't always even realize what was going on, but just taking a step back and seeing the big picture and seeing what God hath wrought in our little corner of the world, Lord, we just fall on our face before you and say thank you. But it's much more than just that, Lord, because it's not just being thankful. That's important. But it's realizing we do have a purpose. We have a calling. We have a commission. And we need to take it seriously. And I just want to pray for the believers. Probably most of us would say we already know you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that each and every one of us would consider seriously, how are we fulfilling, how am I fulfilling your purpose for me and for this world? What is my role in your great commission? Not what is my church's role. What is my individual role in helping to fulfill the great commission in this generation? I pray that as you burden the hearts of your children, that they would respond with faith, motivated, understanding that you are a God that keeps your word and that we want to be a part of that. And Lord, there may be people who have yet to fully understand what it means to have new life in Jesus Christ. And I know we didn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but Lord, in simple faith, if they would surrender their hearts to what you came to do, to seek and to save that which was lost, to save sinners, that they would just confess their sins to you, that they would cry out to you to forgive them and ask you to come into their heart and their life and give them the free gift of eternal life, that full surrender means everything I know about myself, Lord, I surrender to everything I know about you. And from this day forward, I'll follow you. That's what I'll do. I pray that if there's anybody who doesn't know they'd have a home in heaven, that they would do that today. And let this be the first day of the rest of their life. Lord, we love you, and we look forward to 2019. We look forward to what you're going to continue to do in our midst. We give thanks for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand up with me?